I've noticed in life that we tend, and when I say we, I just mean human beings, we tend to brag about different things. You know, sometimes we will brag about who we know, or maybe sometimes we will brag about what we have, how much we have. Sometimes we brag because we have accomplished something. You know, this past weekend, my brother and his wife and their kids, my niece and nephew, went out to the Grand Canyon and they hiked from the North Rim to the South Rim in one day. And they had invited 14 friends to go with them on this trip. Some of them were from our church, some of them from different places, and they, they, had, they, they all did this together. Eight, there were 18 of them that ended up going down through the canyon. And uh, before the trip, about a week before, my brother said to me, he said, John, one of the people who was supposed to go can't go. Would you like to go and take that person's place? I said, no, I don't, I don't believe I would. And he said, well, why not? I said, well, I think I'm scheduled to pray that weekend. And I don't know that I wanted to, but they, now they're not bragging about it, but I'm, tell, I'm bragging for my family. They went from one end to the other in one day. Now, 20 years ago, I went from one end of the canyon to the other, but it took me four days. And I've, I've been bragging about that ever since, even though it took me four times as long. I never will forget, we got to one of the places where we were gonna spend the night we were camping and we got to the campsite and there was this pink snake that was right where I was supposed to put the tent. And so there was a forest ranger nearby and I went by and I talked to the forest ranger and I told him about the snake and he came over and looked at it and he patted me on the back and he said, you won't bother him at all. And I thought, man, this is nuts the way people are, you know, the way we're living down here. But sometimes you accomplish something like that and you might be tempted to brag on it. The other night, speaking of snakes, I, was, I got home from work about six o'clock one evening and I noticed, I was talking on the phone and I got into my driveway and I could see something moving right at the base of my garage door. And it was, sure enough, it was a snake. And I would say it was probably about 14 feet long, king cobra python combination snake. Well, I opened the garage door, and when I did, the snake slithered in the garage and went behind some plywood that I have up, that, you know, in the side of the garage. Well, I was watching that snake and didn't take my eyes off that snake, and I was trying to figure out what to do. I wanted to get to, to a shovel that I have in the garage, but between me and the shovel was that snake, and so I was trying to figure this out. So. I called a friend of mine on the phone and I was telling him about the situation and, and uh, I was not asking him to come over and help, but basically I was without asking him to come over. And he said, John, you want me to come over there and help you with that? I said, well, if you don't mind, if you don't mind. And so he came, he said, do you have a shovel? I said, I do. And so when he got there, he didn't bring his shovel. And uh, so now we only have one shovel and it's between me and the snake. And so I said to him, I said, look, we only have one shovel. There's two of us. I said, the gentlemanly thing for me to do is for let you to use the shovel. And so he went in and got the shovel and we got after that snake or he did more than, I mean, much more than I did in that garage. And finally he got him and the snake got loose and was going down the back of the, of the, of the garage. And then he said, John, I've got him pinned up in a corner. That snake started going up a wall and he, he got that snake, he killed that snake. And when we got finished, I looked at him, I said, we did it. He said, we ain't done nothing. You, I killed that snake. It's Larry Josie's who it was right over there. Our, by the way, he's our usher. And if you ever have any problems in your homes with snakes or any kind of uh, animals like that, call Larry, he'll come help you out. He came and got that snake for me. But you know, sometimes when you do something like that, you might be tempted to brag about it. 
and, and boast about that. Now, there's an interesting verse in the Bible. In fact, open your Bibles tonight to Jeremiah chapter 9. I want us to begin there. In Jeremiah chapter 9, we read that we're not supposed to be bragging about killing snakes or climbing a Grand Canyon or, or in some other accomplishment. The Bible teaches us that if we're going to brag or if we're going to boast, we should boast that we know the Lord. And these verses here, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, are two of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Look at what it says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Now, your translation probably says boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast or glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But look at verse 24. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. So the scripture is saying, God is saying, if you're a wise person, don't brag about your wisdom. Don't boast in that. If you're a strong person, don't boast in your strength. If you're a rich person, don't boast in your riches. But if you want to boast about something, boast about this, that you understand and that you know God. That is something we should boast in, or that is something we should glory in, or that is something that we should be excited about. And so tonight we're thinking about knowing God. That is really, that's not the title of the sermon, but that's really the subject tonight, knowing God. Now here's the question. How can we get to know God, a personal relationship with God? Think with God. Think about this. When we talk about having a relationship with God, we're talking about having a relationship with someone we cannot see, someone we cannot touch, someone we cannot hear. And so there's nobody on the planet that you have a relationship with like that. And yet the Bible says that the purpose of life is to establish a relationship with God and then to develop the relationship with God. And yet it's not always easy. We can't see him, can't hear him, can't reach out and touch him. And yet the scripture says, if you know God and if you understand, not everything about God, but if you can understand any of God's ways, you should be thankful. You should glory in that. That should be what excites you, not some of these other things that we tend to brag about sometimes. So the question is, how can we get to know God? How do we develop a relationship with God? I mean, those of us who've already been saved. Keep in mind what the Apostle Paul said in that Romans uh, prison cell when he was writing the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, when Paul wrote that, he already knew Jesus in a saving way, but he had a desire to know him better. How can we develop a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I've thought about that today, and I I suppose I could give a list of 20 things, but I think there are really two things that there are two ways that we develop this relationship with God. Number one, through the circumstances of life, and number two, through the Word of God. How do you get to know a God you can't see? Well, you get to know Him as you go through the circumstances of life and as you get to know the Word of God. And so when I say we can't hear God, well, it is true. We can't audibly hear God. We hear God speak to us through His Word. Now, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 5. We're going to end up in Deuteronomy tonight, but we're kind of uh, dancing slowly to it. But in John, chapter number 5, this is an interesting verse. Verse number 39. Jesus is teaching, 
and he's talking about the Word of God, and he's talking to a group of religious leaders who knew their Bible. Now, the only Bible they had was the Old Testament, but they knew the Bible. They could quote large sections of the Bible. And Jesus said to these religious leaders, John 5, verse 39, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. What was Jesus saying? He was saying those religious people who read their Bible all the time, you think that reading the Bible, you think that knowing the Scriptures is going to get you into heaven. You think that by knowing the Word of God, somehow that's going to make you a, a, a child of God. But he said, you need to remember this. The purpose for the Scriptures is not just so that you would learn the Scriptures. The purpose of the Scriptures is so that you could get to know God. Look at it again. These are they which testify of me. Now, nobody here tonight loves the Bible more than I do. I love the Bible. And maybe, maybe you love it as much. Maybe you do love it more. How do we measure these things? But I can tell you, I love the Bible. I try to read the Bible every day. Working on a booklet right now. Taking some of the greatest Proverbs. There are 915 Proverbs in that book. And we've been working for the last month or six weeks on selecting the classic Proverbs and putting it together a 31-day devotional. Just been reading those verses in lots of different translations. Should this verse go in? Should this verse be in this translation? I mean, I love the Bible. But let me say this to you tonight. The purpose of reading the Bible is not just to learn the Bible. The purpose of reading the Bible is to get to know God. You, for the sake of the argument, could memorize every verse in the Bible and still not know God. And so the Bible, the purpose of the Bible, and I think in the day in which we live, this is, this is a point that, that, needs to be, that needs to be made because it's seldom ever said. Most of the time when a preacher is talking about the Bible for the last, since 1979 in our world, what that preacher has been saying and what we all believe, and I certainly believe this, we, when we talk about the Bible, we say the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. That means it's perfect in every way. I believe that. Yes, of course I believe that. I don't see how anybody could preach if they didn't believe that. I don't even see how anybody would read the Bible if they didn't believe that. Some people say, well, the Bible contains the Word of God. What they mean by that is there are portions of the Bible that are the Word of God, and there are other portions that are not the Word of God. Friend, listen to me. The Bible doesn't contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God from beginning to end. But most of the time, when somebody's talking about the Bible, that's the emphasis. The Bible is the Word of God, and that's all true. But we also need to add to that that God gave us the Bible not just so we could run around arguing that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God, which it is. God gave us the Bible so that through the written Word, we could develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. Said another way, the Bible is not just about the Bible. The Bible is given to us so that we could know God. And that's what we're thinking about tonight. How do we develop a relationship with a God we cannot see, with a God we cannot audibly hear, and with a God we cannot reach out and touch? And I'm saying to you tonight, the way we do that is through the experiences of life as we go through things, good things, bad things, easy things, hard things, frightening things or or, or fun things. As we go through life, that's how we get to know God. And you know as well as I do that we get to know God better during the 
valley experiences, during the hard times, during the challenges than we do when everything is going well in our lives. And also, we get to know God by reading the Bible. Now, that is the introduction to the sermon tonight. Now, so let's just continue along this theme of the Bible, reading the Bible. First of all, let me say there is no bad plan for reading the Bible. In the years that I've been on staff here, I have come up with five different Bible reading plans, and I'm not real satisfied with any of them. In fact, I found a Bible reading plan at a church in California. I've never been to this church, never heard about this church. It's called Riverside Church in California. And they have a Bible reading plan that I think is the best Bible reading plan I've ever seen in my life. And we're going to introduce it to our church here in Pasadena, Texas, in uh, January of 2023. Not this next year, but 2023. And it's a great Bible reading plan. But let me say this about Bible reading plans. There's no such thing as a bad plan. Any plan that you have that will help you get in the Bible every day is a good plan. One of the Bible reading plans I put together is called uh, A Chapter a Day. I think it's called Almost a Chapter a Day or A Chapter a Day Almost. And it, it, one chapter a day from the New Testament one chapter a day from Proverbs, I mean, that's on a separate day, and then Psalms, some of the Psalms you have to do two or three a day to get through all that in a year. Well, after I'd put that plan together, I was reading one night, and I came across something that I found very interesting. By the way, let me say this. As we're getting, as we are wanting to get to know God and develop a relationship with Him, one of the things that will help us with that is to study what other Christians are doing, learn what other people do in their life. You know, we should be readers. Readers are leaders, and leaders are readers. I read last night that Warren Buffett, the great investor, the great businessman, reads five to six hours a day. Now, he's reading about business mainly. I'm talking tonight about a spiritual approach, but I read something that I found interesting, and when I read it, I thought, well, at least I'm in good company with this thought that if you read a chapter a day, that that's good. I read where Beth Moore, well-known Bible teacher, wonderful Christian, that here is her Bible reading plan. She reads a chapter a day, like she'll take the book of Genesis, and today she'll read Genesis chapter one. One chapter, that's it. But when she reads it now, she's putting herself in it. She's thinking about it. She's extracting the, t- she's, she's mining that thing and pulling up the gold. She's spending some time in that. Tomorrow, she'll read chapter two. The next day, she'll read chapter three. She'll spend 50 days in Genesis. And then she will go to the New Testament and read Matthew chapter one, a, one chapter a day through Matthew. And she alternates between Old Testament and New Testament books. And we have Bible reading plans that do that same thing, that flip it back and forth. So you're not just in the Old Testament for eight months. You can, you can have some variety and some freshness. But I want, I'm saying this tonight to say to you, for the last year or so, I have been trying to read my Bible at the pace of a chapter at a sitting. Now, sometimes at night, I might go back and read another chapter from another Bible, but I'm saying it when I sit down to read the Bible, there's something helpful for me about reading one chapter and saying, what, am I, what, is, the, what is God saying in this chapter, and how does it apply to my life? Now, all that said, go back to the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, I know you're thinking, John, if that was the introduction, we're never going to get out of here. Well, I'm going to pick up the 
pace here, and we are going to get out of here. But I've been reading through Deuteronomy, and just a few days ago, I came across a verse. I never had seen it, never had marked it in my Bible. At least, I don't think I had. And uh, it really blessed me, and it spoke to my heart. Now, Deuteronomy was written as the people of God were just about to enter the promised land. They had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and they are on the border of the promised land. And Moses is about to die and go to heaven. Remember, he couldn't go into the promised land with him because of the sin he committed in the wilderness. God told Moses to speak to a rock and water would come out. Moses thought, I'm not going to speak to a rock. He struck that rock. Read about that in Numbers chapter 20. Water still came out. God said, you disobeyed me in front of all the people, and now you cannot enter the promised land. And so Moses is getting ready to die. And he, this book of Deuteronomy was written as he is now reviewing what the people had been through during their 40 years in the wilderness. Now, I want to show you a verse, chapter 1, verse 2. We looked at this verse last week, but in chapter 1, verse 2, this is just interesting to me. Moses said, it is 11 days' journey from Horeb. Horeb is another name from Mount Sinai. That's where Moses got the Ten Commandments. By way of Mount Sair, that's down by the Dead Sea, to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is on the southern border of the promised land. And what Moses was saying to the people was, this journey that has taken us 40 years should have taken us 11 days. It's an 11-day trip. It's about 100 and, I forget the exact, I can't do the math in my head now, but I do remember this much. If they would have walked 13.6 miles a day for 11 days, they would have been there. So whatever 13.6 is times 11, that's how far it was from Mount Sinai to the promised land. 11 days, less than, less than two weeks, and yet it took them 40 years. They were disobedient, complaining, grumbling, you know, not trusting God, and so it took them 40 years. But they have continued on. They've gotten right to the border of the promised land. And Moses now, chapter 2, verse 7. Here's our verse for the night. Moses says to the people, now he's, he's reminding them of what they've been through. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows your trudging, or literally your goings, through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. That word wilderness could also be translated desert, and it is actually better translated desert because they weren't out there with trees and shade. They were in the desert. But God, or Moses said to the people, at the end of these 40 years, what the contents of verse 7, and that is what I want us to think about tonight, three marvelous attributes of God. Now, you still listen? Say amen. How do we get to know God? through the experiences of life. Remember this, I have, my heart is so full. Let me, let me give you a verse. You don't need to look it up. Let me give you a verse. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. Isaiah 48, 10. God is speaking and he said this, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. When we go through difficulties, trouble, pain, heartache, affliction in our lives. What is God doing? God is, 
He's refining us, just like gold is purified and refined. What is God doing? He is refining us. I just finished another little booklet called When the Heart Breaks. All of us here tonight have been through circumstances in life when our hearts have been broken. What is God doing when our hearts are broken? through the death of someone we love, through some other catastrophic experience. What is God doing? Just sitting up there watching us hurt? No. What is God doing as a loving Heavenly Father? He is wanting to use that experience. Psalm 147.3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What is God wanting to do? He's wanting to use the painful, difficult, unjust experiences of life to draw us closer to Himself. So that's why I say, How do we get to know God through the experiences of life? If you tonight are here with a heavy heart, with a broken heart, with a shattered dream, with something going on in your life that is just difficult, and who who isn't going through some of that now with what the world's going through? What is God trying to do through all this? God is in the process of helping us to grow closer to Him and to get to know Him in deeper and more personal ways. We get to know Him through the experiences of life, and we get to know Him through the Word of God. Now, when I read this verse the other night, we're back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, chapter 1, chapter 2, sorry, verse 7, and read it again. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. I read that. Since I was only reading one chapter, I wasn't in a hurry to get through that, so I read something else. I I thought about it. And I thought, what is God saying in that verse? Three marvelous attributes of God. And I guarantee you, we're going to put them on the screen tonight. When you think about this, you're going to say, you know what, John? That is true in my life. In what I've been through, maybe what you're going through right now, that is true. So three marvelous attributes of God. I think it's going to come up. There it is. Let's look at the first one. What is God saying to us through that? What do we learn? He knows what we've been through. Now look at this again. Chapter 2, verse 7. Second sentence. He knows your trudging or your goings through this great wilderness. Now think about this. If you and I had been in that group, we've been in the desert for 40 years, and we're wondering if we're ever going to get to the promised land. We're even wondering if there is a promised land. (laughs) And God says through Moses, I know what you've been through. I don't know what that would do for you, but that does something for me. When I think about my own life, you think about your life, things that we have been through in life that we felt like nobody knew, nobody could understand, nobody could sympathize, nobody knew how we felt. I don't know if it does anything for you tonight, but it does a great deal for my faith when I read this sentence, God knows you're trudging through this wilderness. God knows what we've been through. Some of you have been treated unfairly at work. God knows about it. Some of you have been talked about behind your back. God knows about it. Some of you have been hurt in some other way. God knows about it. Some of you have fought a physical battle. You can't even describe the pain. Some of you are going through a battle tonight. Anxiety, worry, can't sleep, restless, lost your appetite, and you think, nobody knows how I feel. Friend, let me tell you something. God knows exactly how you feel. Now, today, when I was thinking about this verse, I thought, you know, I want to look that word up in Hebrew and see what is the Hebrew word from which we get our word, our English word, knows. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. Some of you tonight and some of you watching tonight feel like you are trudging through life, and you don't think anybody knows. I'm telling you, God knows. It's interesting. 
The Hebrew word there is the word yada. Y-A-D-A. Now, that doesn't mean a great deal to us, but hear me out on this. That word literally means to know or to ascertain by seeing. So when it says that God yadas our trudging through the wilderness or our trudging through the desert, what is it saying? It's saying God knows what we've been through because he has been watching us as we've been through it. What did I say at the beginning of the message? We can't see God. That's true, but friend, don't forget this. God can see us. God sees every valley we've walked through. God sees every mountain we've tried to climb over. God sees every obstacle we've faced. God sees every setback that has been before us. God sees it all. And he sees it. And since he sees it, he knows what we've been through. But it's not just that he sees it. Listen to what this word also means. It means to observe, to be aware of, to care about. You see, sometimes you might see somebody going through something hard and difficult. You, 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 now you know it. You, you understand what they're going through, but you don't really care. You don't know them. And, and maybe your heart doesn't go out to them. But it means here that God cares about. And it literally means to understand. And so when it says, you know, we read that. And it says here in, in uh, Deuteronomy, he knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. We just read that and say, well, God, you know, God knows everything, so God. But no, it's, it's more than God knows everything. It is that he has seen the battle you have faced. And he understands. And he considers, as he considers you, and as he considers your future, he considers that. I'll tell you where else we find that Hebrew word yada in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. Most of us know chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways, what's the next word? Acknowledge him. Acknowledge, our English word acknowledge, you see the word know in acknowledge comes from the Hebrew word yada. What is the Bible saying? In all of our ways, we should be mindful of God. Even though we can't see God visually, we should try to see God in this situation. And we should, we should consider God. And we should care about God. And we should think about and try to understand God in this situation that I'm in right now, trying to make this decision in a relationship, in my finances, where I'm going to live, where I'm going to work, whatever it is. God, I want to acknowledge you. I want to consider you. It's the same word. In all your ways... Stop and think about God, and he will direct your path. Literally, he will make your path straight. He will cut a straight path for you, even though the path is crooked right now. Consider God. Remember God. That's the word when it says God knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. God has, he has seen it. He has observed it. He knows what it has been like for you, and he is mindful of that. He understands it, and he cares deeply about you. I'm just saying, I don't know what that does for you, but that one sentence in that one verse helps me to know God better. I feel like I'm, I get to know God better because I can look back on times in my life when I've been through a desert, and I say, God knows all about it. And that blesses me. So we should be able to learn from that verse that he knows what we've been through. Second thing that we should be able to learn, not only he knows what we've been through, but watch this. He's been through it with us. 
He's been through it with us. It's not just that God is on his throne in heaven detached from us and he's watching us. There she is. Look what she's going through. Wow, there he is. Man, that's going to be tough. Well, he's doing all that more than just observing. He's caring. But notice this. He's going through it with us. Back in our verse, this seventh verse. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. What was Moses saying? Moses saying, we've been out here in the wilderness for 40 years. But God knows about it. God has seen what we've been through, and he cares. But not only that, God has been through this wilderness with us. He's not been detached only up in heaven and us down here on earth. Every step we have taken, God has taken. And you should be able to look at your life, and you should be able to look back on your life, and you should be able to say, not only does God know what I've been through, but God has been through it with me. But not only that, notice the third thing we should be able to learn from this verse. Number one, he knows what we've been through. Number two, he's been through it with us. And number three, he has blessed us every step of the way. Look at the beginning of verse seven. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. Look at the end of the verse. You have lacked nothing. Moses says to the people, we've been in this desert for 40 years. I'll tell you something, Moses said. During these 40 years, God has blessed us. God has met every need we've ever had. We've not lacked anything. Now think about who Moses was saying that to. He was saying it to a bunch of people who had been disobedient, who had doubted God, who had griped against God, who had worshiped other gods, committed all kinds of sins. And yet Moses said to them, even with all the shortcomings and sins and failures and everything we've done wrong, God has blessed us every step of the way. Now, I want you to look at this on the screen. Three marvelous attributes of God. Number one, he knows what you've been through. Number two, he's been through it with you. And number three, he's blessed you every step of the way. If that's your testimony tonight, say amen. Now, I had a completely different way I was going to end this sermon tonight, but I'm going to end it differently. Let me say this. Notice that on these sentences, they're all, um, well, the main verb there, well, these are in the, like the perfect past tense, the perfect tense. He knows what we've been through. He's been through it. We've got past tense. He's blessed us every step of the way. Those, those sentences there are all written in the past so that we should be able to look back on our life and say, you know what, in every, on every mountain and every valley, in every victory and every defeat, God knows what I've been through. God's been through it with me, and God has blessed me every step of the way. But you know what we should also do tonight? We should pull that out of the past and bring it into the present and be able to say it this way. Now, this ought to be a blessing to somebody tonight. I mean, I'm going to tell you, if you were as happy to be listening to this sermon as I'm as happy to be preaching this sermon, I think somebody would be saying amen all right, right now. Present tense. God knows what you're going through right now tonight. He knows. You say, John, my valley wasn't in the past. My valley is right now. I'm saying to you, right in that valley, God knows what, you've been, what you're going through right now. Number two thing, God is in that valley with you. And number three, God is going to bless you every step 
of the way. How do we develop a relationship with God that is real? You know, one thing I pray every six days a week, I don't pray this on Sunday, but I try to pray it the other days. I say, God, here's my prayer. And I say, God, I pray, I pray this for me and my family. I pray, here's the first thing I say. I say, God, I pray that you would be more real to us than we are to each other. I pray that you will be more real to me than my family is, and my family is very real to me. God, I pray that you will be more real to me than my friends are to me, and my friends are real. I pray that you would be more real to me than First Baptist is to me, and First Baptist is very real to me. God, I pray you'd be more real to me than, any, than, than anybody is to me. But here's what, who I was getting at. Here's what I say. I say, God, I pray that your presence in my heart, in the precious person of the Holy Spirit, would be more real to me than if I had you in the flesh. Now, that's a prayer right there. Because how many times have we all thought, if I could only have Jesus in the flesh? How many times? I've thought that so many times. If I could only see, if Jesus were with me right now and I could see him, I wouldn't be worried about a thing. And yet, what did Jesus say? John chapter 16, verse 7, to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will live on the inside of you. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, it is better to have me in your heart, invisibly, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, than it would be to have me in the flesh. If you've ever wondered how wonderful the Holy Spirit is, that verse ought to answer it for you. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus himself would be in the flesh. Now, you go home and think about that. That just tells you how special the Holy Spirit is. I pray, God, I pray you would be more real to me in the precious person of the Holy Spirit than you would be if I, like the disciples, had you in the flesh. Here's the question. How's that that prayer ever going to be answered? For me, for you, for any of us. How are we going to get to know God better? What did I say? Two ways. Through the experiences of life, and through the Word of God. And if I could close tonight by saying this, as you go through the experiences of life, and we all go through them, don't fail to read and to apply the Word of God. And don't forget that the Word of God was given to us not just so we would know the Word of God. The Word of God was given to us so that we would know the God of the Word. Jesus said, To those Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think in the Scriptures you have eternal life. You have failed to understand. These are they that testify to me. When you read the Bible and you read a chapter a day, whether it's in Deuteronomy, whether it's in Daniel, whether it's in Luke, wherever you're reading from, I'll tell you this, look for Jesus in that chapter. And if you don't find him, read it again because Jesus is all through the Bible. And in our experiences, if we can read the Word of God, apply the Word of God, and use the Word of God to help us get to know God, we will develop that relationship with Him. Amen?